Well, howdy doody, folks. Welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, he's Steve, and April Fools! We're not gonna talk about Elden Ring this week. Instead, we're gonna be reviewing <laughs> Morbius. So, yeah. I, in, in full disclosure, I really did think that we were gonna be reviewing Elden Ring. However, me, Hermano, reminded me Sup. that Morbius was impending on its release mm. over this past week, so we had to do a little shuffling. So, we're going to be reviewing Morbius this week before going next week into Sonic 2, and then we will be discussing Elden Ring. So a little bit of the old switcheroo on the schedule. Plenty of time to play Elden Ring. Absolutely. Perhaps we can get, make uh, our way a little bit farther mm. collectively. Before we go any further, though, make sure you take a bite out of that subscribe button. Maybe scratch that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single solitary episode of Joygasm that drops once a week every week and before we actually get into said review it goes without saying that this should be your spoiler alert <laughs> that we'll be going into all kinds of spoiler territory so if you haven't seen the film you may want to hold off otherwise allow us to resume steve yeah Russ? Morbius. Not to be confused with Morpheus. Morpheus. You took the word <laughs> right out of my mouth. You stole it from me. I know. I see how it is there, Steve. I know, um, so, yeah. So, Morbius. Mm. This was a trailer that I was particularly excited about. I think you had a vested interest mm. in it as well. Indeed. Jared Leto was making the jump from the DC universe over to the Marvel universe. And this is a bit of a uh, twice removed, if you will, because it wasn't actually the MCU that made the film. It was Sony. Yeah. Sony is expanding a bit of its Spider-Man universe. Mm. And we saw it with Venom, which has been a, a very successful venture. Indeed. And you can see they're, they're continuing kind of more of this anti-hero, maybe villain-ish type of trend. And so now we have Morbius. So, uh, right. What did you think of Morbius, Steve? Well, um, I was disappointed. Yuck. I <laughs> puncture marks, finger <laughs> puncture marks, um, long fingernail puncture marks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gosh, I gotta put a band aid on that. <laughs> Um, oh, it's so slightly irritating. Gosh, it itches and it hurts. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I was I was a bit disappointed. Mm. I I didn't like think it was terrible necessarily, but um, I I think they could have done a lot better. Mm. Seemed like the movie pacing was fast, yet it was kind of boring. Yes. It uh, seemed like the music was kind of ripped from. Batman begins a little bit. At least I heard some notes. I don't know. That that's what I was thinking of throughout the when I heard the score. Mm. And um, I feel like Jared Leto kind of took on the wrong job. I feel like the wrong job. Yeah, you know. I mean, he I don't think he was like the wrong fit. It just seemed like if I'm Jared Leto and I know that people don't really like, I'm not everyone's favorite Joker. 
you know? And so I'm taking on another villain role or anti-hero role. I think I'm going to read like this script. I'm going to read this screenplay. I'm going to like figure out if like this is a good role or not. And I kind of think, I mean, maybe they paid him really well, but I kind of think like the script wasn't very good. Mm. And he was, I thought he did it the best he could with this script, but I just didn't really think it was all, it was written all that well. So it's not necessarily a bad reflection on Jared Leto so much as it's just a poorly written script. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. I don't think, I mean, Jared, I enjoyed Jared Leto's acting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'm, I'm thinking like, did he get the short end of the stick yet again? You know, because I, I like stuff that he's in. But I didn't care for him personally as a Joker. And um, I feel like this wasn't written very well. And I thought he just did the best he could with what he had. But mm. then I also got to think, okay, if someone's putting this on the big screen, mm-hmm. like, why? I don't know. I, I just don't see how they could have, like, all the, the big wigs at the table could have read the script and gone, this is it. This is the next big blockbuster right here. This is going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Let's go forward with it. I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I really don't. I um, I can't really say I was invested in the characters all that much. I didn't really. I don't know. Yeah. I thought the CG was fine. Nothing really spectacular. I don't know. It just there was no real like highlights in the movie for me. Um. And then the end just kind of kind of let me down. Mm. I don't know. I like the trailer. They did a good job on the trailer. <laughs> but uh, the movie, I can't say that much about. It's, um, yeah. I see. You feel uh, similar? I would say, uh, to a certain extent, yes. I do feel the same way. I do think it's, it's a matter of the script. I think that you touched on the right thing, mm. which is the script itself... It's hard to actually kind of put into words, really. But I mean, I I think that there wasn't enough thoughtfulness put into how to be able to flesh these characters out. Because I like Jared Leto. I actually think that that he fit this particular role really well, judging from the trailers. I mean, I was completely on board with what they offered uh, during the whole, like, you know, teaser period of time. And when the, the, the film was dropped again, I really bought into him being this character of Michael. Um, and I, you know, I, I thought that in terms of the lead up, you know, I, I like the idea of how he has this very frail body. He's got some sort of disease that's there. I liked the idea that he befriended this other kid who had similar types of ailments and how they were, you know, they, they forged a bond together and it continued into adulthood where they were best friends and that sort of thing. And I even liked how we got to see, you know, just, just, just how, you know, it's, it's like the classic tale of, you know, a scientist within his lab and, he's putting a concoction together out of desperation. And then as a result, you know, he injects himself and he's imbued with these supernatural powers, but at what cost, what cost? And as at the same time, you have a friend who, uh, we discover, you know, he also, um, took one of the vials and has injected himself. And so then we get to see this, this duality play out, right? We're like, on the one hand, there is a sense of responsibility and 
oh no, what have I done? And trying to right a wrong and, and having just more of that protagonist type of angle versus Milo, who really wants to get back at the world, who was has been kind of um, forgotten about, um, bullied, you know, and is really infatuated with his newly found supernatural powers to the point where it corrupts him. And I think that, that as a setup, as a, as a kind of a uh, jumping off point is cool because, you know, we really haven't seen too many of these types of stories where like, you know, I mean, they're using arm braces to get around. Like, like they, they definitely have certain types of uh, physical ailments that have really affected the, the majority or really all of their lives. And so I liked how they were going to set it up in such a way where we got to kind of see it from both sides. We're like, you know, his best friend was much more all about embracing these newfound powers to the point where it was very selfish. It was very, um, dangerous. Uh, I mean, he really just wanted to be really take on the world. I mean, that, that was kind of his saying, right. was like, you know, the few against the many is what he was echoing. Or like the Spartan 300 or something. Well, not necessarily the the <clears throat> Spartan 300, but like it was more about... Well, they referenced that in the other thing. Like they're, they're the few. The many are like the, the people who don't have ailments like they have. Sure. But I, I, I think though it was more about how he was framing it in terms, because I mean, 300 was more about having the, like a few amount of people who were able to hold off this huge imposing army that, you know, they had no chance, but they did so out of duty and country and that sort of thing. He was more about, he wanted revenge. He wanted to get back at society for treating him the way that they had during his whole life, basically. And so I thought that was interesting, but I think where it failed was, I think it glossed over some of the more poignant opportunities, right? Because these two people are best friends. Like, I mean, they met when they were children. He, um, meaning Milo, seemed to have come from money. Like he came from a rich family. So he was the primary investor in Michael's efforts to be able to come up for uh, a cure. You could tell, I mean, he, despite his ailments, he definitely lived a nice life. But I think the pro- one of the problems was they wanted to get too quickly into like the fisticuffs, right? Like they wanted to start fighting that sort of thing where I found it hard to believe as a viewer that these best friends would be so quick to throw away their bond, their friendship, that sort of thing. I wanted to see more of a philosophical wrestling, if you will, where like, you know, they, they, they put just a little teensy bit of that at the beginning where they're talking and then all of a sudden it just goes into, you know, fighting him and everything else. And I think that's where they kind of missed the mark because on the one hand you have these amazing supernatural powers, but at the same time, you know, what, what is the sacrifice? What are you giving up? And especially when, when, when we got to look at Michael's best friend, he wasn't a bad person. It wasn't like he was an evil kid from the beginning who was like taking a magnifying glass and roasting ants as a little kid, you know, like there, <laughs> there was nothing to even like right. really um, indicate that, that, that this kid was a bad seed by any stretch. But then as soon as he gets these powers, then suddenly it's like, all you know, he's 110% into this mode of like murdering people and everything else. And it's like, well, I, I don't know if I think that would would have been 
I'm totally like like stuttering. I do think that would have become an eventuality of his character where something would have caused like whatever that that was giving him pause would have snapped and then he would have completely embraced who he is and really got off on on just this power that he had that sort of thing and unfortunately we never really saw that in fact there was another opportunity in the movie when his uh his best friend when milo um, has uh, gotten his powers and that sort of thing. And the doctor who has taken care of both men since they were children comes and visits, visits Milo, right? Again, the behavior of Milo didn't fit right? based on what we know. Like, I'm sorry, but like, regardless of whether or not he comes into these, these types of new primal-esque powers and that sort of thing, it's not like he has been reduced intellectually right to just being a beast it's not like you know like like the classic werewolf for example if the if a man turns into a werewolf he kind of temporarily you know kind of turns into more of a primal, primal. type right. of beast even like from an intelligent standpoint that wasn't the case here and again he was so quick to just like you know kill off this guy but again i actually started thinking about Mm. Um, oh, uh, what's that? Russ? Dexter, right? Okay. I started thinking about the TV show Dexter because you have a serial killer who is, you know, he, he's always kind of fighting against his, his uh, desires to want to go and hunt people down. That sort of thing. Dark and passenger. What? Dark it's passenger. Dark passenger. Russ. I ha- I've never heard that. They've story. referenced it plenty of times in the show. Russ. Oh, well, mm. I will not question <laughs> that case. <laughs> But what I'm getting at is yes. one of the most strongest aspects of the show is the relationship he has with his dad. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really fascinating about it was that you saw how his father recognized in him that he was, in fact, a dark seed, even as a kid. Right. And how his father groomed him over time and tr- and conditioned him and trained him to say, look, you know, if you if you find that you just can't uh, prevent yourself from acting this way, then you need to focus it toward bad people. Right. And I wanted, I don't necessarily want him to see a carbon copy of that within Morbius, but I do think that one of the missed opportunities in this movie was how cool would it have been if that older gentleman who took care of both boys was able to act as like, kind of like the Dexter father where like, he didn't die. He didn't get killed, but he acted as a conscience for both men and how like, you know, regardless of like which perspective Michael took versus Milo took, that's kind of the really cool thing about it is that they could both come to him separately or together or whatever. I mean, whatever the circumstances may be, but that there should have been a respect for the man simply because while the world turned its back on those boys he did not. And I, and I don't care like what kind of supernatural powers you have or what kind of angst you have against the world. You don't off those types of people like that, especially not that quickly. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you hit a few things there where I, I have to go back to the pacing because um, like in the beginning um, we, we see, I'll get to this in a second, but in the beginning, you know, he gets dropped off and like, 
was it Argentina or somewhere or, or was it Costa Rica? Brazil? Costa Rica. And so he's Costa Rica. He's trapping the bats. Um, but we, I mean, I kind of had to assume he was trapping him, and nothing really showed that he was trapping him. Um, and then we fast, or we don't fast forward. We fast forward into the past. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> you know, 25 years. And then he's a kid and just happens to just, like get lucky with uh, Milo's uh, uh, machine, like uh, his right. IV machine or whatever that was. Right. And so then all of a sudden he's a superstar and has all his intelligence. Like, could we have seen more with that? And then so after uh, Morbius leaves and it's just Milo. Milo gets bullied once. That's all we can know, really, is that he was bullied one time in his life. Not additional times. Not like the world was against him. Not like there were crowds, people going, <laughs> you know, you're a weakling. You know, what's going on with you? Sure. Nothing like that. And all of a sudden, so we go to, yeah, okay. Who ha- I've been bullied before. I mean, who hasn't? Right. Except for the bullies. <laughs> uh, who's bullying the bullies, Ross? Anyway. Everybody gets their comeuppance. Anyway, so that's all we really see. And so now he wants to go murder a bunch of innocent people, including nurses and doctors who have absolutely nothing to do with his condition, who have never insulted him, never mocked him at all. He just wants to get revenge on the world just because of a a few 13-year-old boys who, you know, yeah, okay, they they kind of beat him up a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, so I couldn't get behind that. And yeah, I mean, they introduced, I mean, the actor... He played big part on on Mad Men. He knows what he's a good actor. Oh um, yeah, no, I I actually really enjoyed him being in the film, and I thought that that he fit the character of Milo terrifically. I, yeah. I was I was definitely on board. And so I and and I agree with with the fact that yeah, you don't just off like poignant characters like that who who have a lot of importance in the movie. Yeah, okay, somebody's evil, but um, someone who played such a significant part. In your on pretty much your entire life, yeah, you don't just go. Oh, we have a disagreement. Now you die. Yeah, you know, come on. And you were saying it's, it's kind of a, like a, the classic story of, but in my opinion, it's more of like a, a, the generic story of, um, like, okay, like the scientist takes something and injects himself, and it turns out bad, and he's got kind of a um, you know, good side and a bad side. Um, but even then, like, I kind of started thinking of of blade myself where it's blade. Of course he doesn't inject himself with anything, but he's trying to survive on, um, uh, fake blood. So he doesn't have to kill anybody and drink their blood and survive on human blood. And then that has a, an altered effect or a less of effect. And he has to, you know, go for something else. There, um, there is a commonality between the two characters for sure. In that right. regard. Yeah. And we're like, you know, even in, in the, the blade stories, if he gets a, a taste of, of human blood, then all of a sudden he's like totally roided up right. and, you know, roided up. <laughs> oh, human blood. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I mean that there is, it's that, that's an astute observation because yeah, absolutely. Like the two do share the whole, like, you know, they want to avoid drinking human blood. So they go for the fake stuff. And then uh, fast forward again, where Milo comes into the lab. And I actually thought this was going to be a great scene where Milo meets uh, Morbius Let's him out. You know, he's trying to survive on his own, trying to control the the, the urges of becoming this right. monster. And so he lets him out and they have this dialogue of, of like, do you have the cure? Because I'm tired of feeling like I'm on the cusp of dying all the time. Yeah. I want something different. And Milo said, or uh, Bormis is saying, this is a curse. You don't want this. And it was just that quick exchange. Um, I think I would have, if it would have been better if Milo saw him like just actually kill somebody and drink their blood. He's like, or... 
have to kill an animal or something that that um, brought him very low to survive. And like, you want to be like me? I'm like feasting on roadkill or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, are you sure you want to give that up to become who I am? Uh, something more than than just no, I want whatever you have and I'm going to find out how to inject this into my spleen back here, you know, because it wasn't just some little sort of thing. The doctor actually had to do some injection into his spine. Yeah. yeah. Spine, spleen, whatever. Yeah, the spleen is located yeah. in the front of the torso. Tomato, tomato. Right. <laughs> I agree, though. That was another missed opportunity that really got glossed over in the sense that these are two men, again, they've known each other their entire lives. And if Milo were to stumble upon Michael in this newly found state, I think there would have been more of a demonstration, like showing like, look, this is what I have gained, but this is also what I have lost. Right. And we just didn't get that. And again, I think, I think that that's also part of it, especially when it comes to um, a character or scenario like this, where if you end up having to sacrifice a part of your humanity uh, for some sort of newly found powers. And again, a lot of this, it, it really is similar to kind of the, the classic Dracula story, right? You get these great powers, but at what cost, right? And I think that, that um, because that is the case here, I do think that there should have been more of that doling out, right? Like, you know, we don't want to see all of a sudden Milo just get the stuff and now he's powerful and now he's doing stuff. And everything. I mean, like we didn't even see Milo transform and I know they wanted that that aha moment where that nurse that got killed in the hallway actually was not Michael's doing it was Milo and that was cool that was kind of oh that was, that was like a little you know a little twisteroo there um Ooh. however they could have kept that in and instead I wanted to I don't know like like I wish that that they showed here's here's what I'm thinking of actually what are you thinking of Russ man of steel if you recall in Man of Steel, when mm. they had General Zod all of a sudden be um, exposed to Earth sunlight, right? He wasn't just like, hey, I'm powerful, shiver before me. You know, it wasn't like that at all. Actually, we got to see quite a bit of him freaking out because he didn't know what the heck was happening to his body. And he had certain types of superpowers, but he couldn't control them. And he was honestly, he was a mess initially. But I was really glad as a viewer to see that happen because I bought into this being more of a realistic situation as a result. Whereas in this film, it was like, oh, he totally mastered doing these incredible jumps and, and like glidings and flight. <laughs> and I mean, I, it's like, <laughs> look at the stuff behind me. I'm leaving trails of whatever I'm wearing. Well, and I think that that, that was that, that's where I, it starts to lose me, honestly, right. is like, there's no sense of danger even from the antagonist. Yeah. There has gotten to be something where we see how he's still in the process of mastering his abilities and discovering his abilities. So I think that, they, yeah, that, that there's, there's a lot of that where it would have made, I think, a, a substantial difference. Do you think that there was a lot cut out? I think you need to be closer to the mic. That's what I think. <sighs> Um, <laughs> you think there was a lot cut out? Like, do you think it was supposed to be rated R and they tried to make it PG-13 and they cut a bunch of stuff out and that's why it doesn't make a whole lot of sense? Oh, possibly. I mean, for a film like this, it could, it's possible. 
That's something that you, I'm sure you could probably look up, Steve. Mm. Take a little look. That's all take the next 30 minutes to do. Indeed. Just look it up. Google it. You should. You should. Yeah. Mm. What'd you think of CG, Russ? Mm. It was interesting. Um, certain aspects about it I liked. Other aspects I didn't care for as much. Mm. I really loved how their faces looked. I thought that was some of the best CG faces I've seen in quite some time. I really loved the style, the art direction of like how they looked. And not only that, but, but like the articulation of how they spoke. You know, like everything just moved really, really cool. I loved how it wasn't just for like the jump out scares where, you know, like actually they had moments where they were speaking to each other with um, their altered look. And I thought that was really cool. I thought their hands looked really gnarly and cool and just, you know, threatening looking. However, I was not a fan of the sonar. Um, I felt like kind of like the, the sonar, yeah, like, it, it was like this weird tendrily, I don't know. I felt like, like they should have gone back to the drawing board on, on that aspect of it. I loved how he, um, was able to fly. Like I loved how he was like starting to like, like again, you know, discovering your powers, right? Michael at one point is in the subway. He's wanting to get away from Milo. And all of a sudden he does this really cool, like gliding flight thing that I thought was really cool. But at the same time, it's like the sonar effects just were so messy looking that it, at times it was hard to know what was going on. Well, plus, like, Milo didn't really know what to expect when he took this shot, serum, whatever it was. And so he just kind of figured everything out on his own, rather as Michael was researching all of this and kind of figured out, I'm turning into a vampire mm. bat. You know, and so he's like, oh, sonar, bats have sonar. Oh, I can kind of glide. Blood, bats can glide. Oh, I like blood. Vampire bats like blood sort of thing. And so then, like, he had some abilities that Milo didn't have. And then, but Milo was a bit, like, superior than he was for some reason. Maybe just because he was just drinking more human blood. I don't know. But he was like, he, it, all of a sudden, he knew everything about his new ability in less time rather than, than Michael did with all the research that he had been doing. Yeah, and see, that that's part of the issue that I was describing earlier, which is just that we didn't see a progress. We didn't see a progression of Milo discovering and having to master certain things. Instead, he just comes across as like this kind of a brat, really, like kind yeah. of a yuppie brat. And again, I, it was difficult for me to buy into like, like with him just wanting to like fight Michael. I'm like, why on earth would you want to like that doesn't make sense based off of their history together. Right. Another thing too is like there is this weird thing with their relationship where Milo wanted Michael to like be on his side philosophically, right? And then they wanted he wanted the two of them to go on and you know take on the world kind of thing. But then when when Michael refused, then it was like his like his go-to was like, well, I'm just going to fight you and try and kill you or whatever. But it was weird because he was throughout the movie, he was still trying to convince Michael. But at the same time, he was trying to kill Michael. It was like this weird thing where like, wait, are you are you trying to get him on your side or not? Or are you just playing with him? Cause I don't think he was playing with it. Like, cause he was, <laughs> he was very upset throughout the whole movie about how Michael would not agree to like his view of how they should use their newly found powers. I mean, we saw that even when, like when the, the doctor came to visit Milo at, at his house, he was still butthurt that like Michael wouldn't see his way 
But at the same time, it's like, well, then why? Why every time you meet him, you're trying to kill him? Or I don't like. I don't think again, he's trying to get a rise out of him so much as he. I mean, those are some fatal blows. Yeah. Again, I go. I think it goes back to scripting because I mean, it doesn't make much sense where he goes. Like, I'm going to beat my opinion in you, or beat your opinion out. That's how we're going to come to an agreement. <laughs> um, and that, but I'm gonna make you submit. <laughs> Yeah. Which I you mean, will say yes. <laughs> that I, there is credence to that to a certain extent, but I didn't think that it was executed properly. And then uh, I guess going back to the story jumping around, that scene when the doctor did come to Milo's place to mm-hmm. talk, they're having this exchange about, oh, he was always your favorite. You always treated him a lot better than me. I'm like, when was that? I mean, that I mean, he. The only really exchange that we saw was when he told. Michael to be nice when Milo arrived. Right. Yeah. And then later on he goes, Oh, you fixed something with a pen. Good for you. I'm going to pay for, or I'll <clears> figure <throat> out how to get a tuition paid for on you to go to some special school. And that was it. And so the doctor literally stays with Milo. His entire life devotes his life to taking care of him. He's like, no, you like the other one better. He did. How do you fathom that? I do really like that scene. Um, if I had to pick like one of my favorite scenes from the movie, it was in fact that scene. Oh, yeah. But I agree. I don't, again, it's all about execution. Like I loved the concept of like how, you know, Milo is, is speaking with um, the, this doctor who is taking care of him his whole life. And, and the doctor for the first time, can look upon Milo and see how grotesque he is. And like, like there's like this kind of um, conflict within Milo and how out of all the people who like could even kind of maybe get through to Milo, it could be this one man. And you start to see that in the conversation where like, you know, um, Milo is, is acting immature and he's, he's lashing out saying what, what you said, which is like, you know, Michael was always your favorite. And the doctor very quickly called him out on it and said, that is, you know that's not true. How I have taken care of you much more. You have been treated as the favorite and you know it. That was awesome. That, that, that is part of the secret sauce of this movie that they needed to extrapolate out. You know, like really explore that and inspect it. And, you know, even the part where like, you know, uh, Milo starts to act more menacingly toward the doctor. And the doctor at one point says, Milo, you're scaring me. That was great. That was a great line because if I was in that situation, I would have said the exact same thing if I was a doctor. And I'm, I'm, you know, again, it's not like, oh, please don't hurt me. You know, it's it's not that cliche or that trope that Hollywood tends to do. Instead, the doctor is communicating to Milo as Milo, not as this beast before him, but he's saying, Milo, you're scaring me. You know, I came here to help you. And, and you know, the, the way you're behaving is not cool. And it would have been really cool. Like I, I, if I was directing this, I would have had Milo's character then go like, like all of a sudden, like take a pregnant pause and be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, you don't know how frustrated I am dealing with life the way I've dealt with it. You know, and his, like with his accent and, and, and like, should have been on the theater stage, Russ. I know I missed my calling. I missed it. But like, you know, all of a sudden, like have Milo, have that temporary revisiting of more of his humanity where it's like, you know, m- maybe even apologize. Like, just, I'm sorry, you know, like, and, 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 and going, you know, again, not, not like totally going into good guy mode, but, but again, 
you know, even the, these complicated antagonists, if done correctly, you can show shades of their humanity. And especially in that instance, it would have been really, really cool that, that to have like this reinforcement of the fact that this doctor was the one person in his life that actually did take care of him, whether it was out of pity or out of duty or out of love or what. I mean, you know, there are people who um, are these good Samaritans in life and it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, when you come across those people, like, like even if you come across like the worst of the worst, you know, there are instances where like their mother will come out of nowhere and be like, what do you think you're doing? (laughs) She'll be half that guy's size and the man will stop what he's doing and listen to his mom. Why? Because his mother was the one person in life who actually took care of him when no one else would. And I don't, again, it's that child rearing where like there is this respect that is there that it's not verbally said, but it is like, that is that one person. Or it's like Mr. Rogers coming out of nowhere. Hello? No. Let's deal with no, your Steve. anger. No. <laughs> I no. can't kill Mr. Rogers. Not Mr. He's so nice. <laughs> <clears throat> but I, I do think that that having a direction like what I what I described would have been much more fascinating to watch play out. That would have been better, Russ. Almost anything would have been better, honestly. Almost anything would be better. I, it's, if it's not the script, it's what was cut out. It could have been there. Maybe they cut it out. I mean, there's a lot that just needs explanation. Let's be real. Yeah, and it's tough to know for sure. But man, like as I think about that scene, that would have been that would have been so cool. And again, also like you know because the actor is a cool actor, and yeah. actually I thought that that you know the dynamics of the friendship was really neat. It was it was a, an original take on like a comic book origin story. Why couldn't we have had the antagonist live? Like like now he's out, one and done, and it's like well wait a minute, like like again, we've unnecessarily bookended that particular relationship when that could have gone on, or maybe like you know, Milo went off somewhere else in the world or who knows what, but I mean, again, we want to see what, what happens with that relationship. Right. Another thing I have to ask you, Steve, what did you think of the romantic relationship? I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. I didn't buy that either, Russ. Um, (laughs) Refund. (laughs) So, I mean, I saw them together and I went, you know, those two are going to get it on. Not because they have any chemistry. They're just nice to each other. They, they did not get it on, though, in the movies, too. Well, I mean, we can assume they did, Rose. Get well, it on. I don't think they did. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so they're, like, basically nice to each other. And I'm like, yeah, okay, she's going to dig him later on. He's going to dig her. I just know it. And sure enough, like, you know, they just had a kiss. And like, oh, I'm very attracted to you all of a sudden now that you're drinking people's blood and you're a monster. And, man, the boy's got some muscle. Um, <laughs> so something about inflated pecs that drives but, uh, the women wild. <laughs> it's the delts, Russ. It's the delts. Oh, um, so yeah, no, I, did, I really didn't buy it. I, I would have liked to see some chemistry, I would have liked to see some budding relationship, but I mean, it was there, and in a flick of a finger, it was gone. And again, they glossed over it. Like, I don't think they necessarily needed to showcase any kind of like budding relationship. I, I was led to believe that when we saw them kiss, that was like the first time they had kissed. It wasn't, yes. it was, I think that there was, 
supposed to be some kind of, I don't know, professional friendship that was there where like they, they, uh, it, it developed into more of an attraction for each other or whatever. But again, like that is kind of the trope, isn't it? Where like, you know, you have an attractive female in the film and, oh, she falls in love with the, the grotesque the protagonist, you know, and that sort of thing. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing per se, but again, did we have to see that in the first movie? Could we have maybe waited that out for like the sequel? Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, she was really pretty. Uh, I liked her being a doctor, that sort of thing. But again, it just, it was kind of shoehorned in there. I feel it like. was, it was. And even that scene when they're on the boat in the middle of the sea, well, not really in the middle of the sea, just, you know, out there somewhere off New Jersey or wherever they were. I believe it was 11 miles out of uh, yeah. Long Island there, Steve. Long Island. Yeah. Same thing. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, no, it's not. <laughs> have a good time with it. Just roll with it, Russ. <laughs> just roll with it. Steve needs to brush up on his geography. Ah, uh, doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> so like the world is round. So anyway, um, third time the charm. So they're on a boat, is it and they piggy. Is it, is it oily? I could just stop. You know? No, no. I'm funny, Russ. I can just stop. It's okay. Died to know what you're about to say. I just stop cutting me off. So they're on a boat. <laughs> And they've paid for this security, which ain't cheap. Uh-huh. And so, like, this guy goes, oh, I gotta go check on a doctor. And he just comes down like just some <laughs> sloppy thug and starts insulting her as if, like, yeah, you've paid me thousands of dollars to be here, bought this boat or rented this boat, and I'm gonna treat you like crap. Mm. Like, to me, oh, that's just another throwaway scene. Like, okay, are you going to do, like, some cookie-cutter guy with a gun's got to be bad. Therefore, Morpheus <laughs> Mor- Mor- is going to come out of the Matrix. I would have made it good. Um, Morbius is going to come out and, it, like, deserves to kill him, basically, because he treated the, the, the doctor like trash. It was forced. It definitely was. It, I, I understand that, like, what they were doing was questionable. That's why they were in international waters to begin with, because it was illegal to do it in the States. So he was supposed to be part of like, you know, the shady characters that, you know, agreed to it. So they're not always necessarily on the up and up. Right. But again, yeah, I mean, it was, it was so contrived with like the, oh, they're going to like, you know, hurt the woman, which is going to set off Michael in this newfound state. And he's going to take everybody. I mean, you could just see how this stuff goes on. You're just like, oh, gosh, you see the whole thing guys. play out. Here we go. Like A, B, C, D, there it is. I do want to comment on the difference between this film versus Venom. Oh. Because Venom was a movie that was very successful in showing an anti-hero, showing almost, you know, a villain, um, and making it entertaining to watch Eddie, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there were some 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 key differences that made Venom more of a success than this, which is First of all, you have the whole like other like symbiote being that is talking to Eddie. That is incredibly entertaining because they are really having fun with the comedy, the sense of humor side of things. And then also too, there is kind of the conflict of, you know, what um, Venom wants to do versus what Eddie wants to do. And like they have a falling out or whatever, you know, those kind of things are really interesting. Um, and this one, it tends to be a bit more of that brooding, moody, I'm a vampire, you know, kind of thing. And his his voice is kind of just monotone and quiet throughout the whole 
Well, again, it, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but again, where's like, like something else has to compensate to entertain. Yeah, exactly. I mean, cause you don't, you know, you want some <clears throat> flavor in the movie. You just want to just sit there and, and just have like this stuff play out. You want to be entertained. That's why you paid your money to go see the movie. Right. 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 What did you think of the post credit scene, Russ? So you could tell that Sony is trying to capitalize on what the MCU has done in terms mm. of their storyline. They're mm. wanting to keep intact or not necessarily intact, but they want to be like, be in sync with what Marvel's doing with all of their characters and their sure. properties. And that's a very wise decision. That's a very good thing. Mm. I did like the idea that we got to see Michael Keaton again. I love me some Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton is just, he's like a fine wine. Um, and I also like the idea that they did, in fact, showcase the Vulture once more because due to the Spider-Man movie that came out, that was kind of one of the very few villains that we actually did not see in the film was the Vulture. So it was cool to show us all, hey, we we didn't forget about Vulture. In fact, he's very much alive and well. And, and now, you know, he's seeking an alliance with Morbius. I was going to say Morpheus. <clears> I didn't. <throat> I said Morbius. <laughs> Anyway, I, I thought it was cool. I, I like the idea that, that they are taking steps and effort to make sure that that both the Sony camp and the, the Marvel camp are in sync with each other with regards to this larger idea of a world or universe or a multi-universe, perhaps. So I think that that's cool, but I do think that we are seeing a difference between how Sony tells a Marvel story and how Marvel tells a Marvel story. Do you think that it's going to be a different Spider-Man than the Tom Holland Spider-Man who's going to have to deal with the Vulture and Morbius? That's a good question. Because if you think about it, <clears throat> the Vulture was fighting against the Tom Holland Spider-Man, but then the Doctor Strange dealio happened with the breaking open of the sky and the dimensions flying around. Uh -huh. And so villains were popping in, heroes were popping in, things were popping out. So... He didn't like just jump from like California to wherever. He he no one knew who he is. Mm -hmm. And it's like even if I fly somewhere, like my I still have a social security number, I still have a name. Like people can find out where I where I'm from if they really wanted to. All the authorities can find out where I am. But no one has a clue who he is, and that's why they let him free. So that makes me think that it's gonna be like not the Tom Holland Spider-Man, but maybe like the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. I think you may be onto something because what is interesting to me is how Sony is also playing with the multiverse. How like, you know, okay, so we saw um, the MCU handle the Spider-Man film. MCU is the one who actually, you know, Sony basically sat back and went like, yeah, pay us what we're owed and go ahead and have fun. Mm. So then Marvel constructed this whole thing and then Sony ran with that and said, okay, yeah, let, let's show the multiverse splitting and, and that sort of thing have the vulture come back in. I think it works out. And um, I I think it's a possibility. So why do you think Morbius wants to get back in Spider-Man? <clears throat> He's never even met Spider-Man. I think that is one of the questions that I don't have an answer to, Steve. See, I, I don't know a whole lot about the Spider-Man comic uh, from what I've gathered, he's like part of like the Sinister Six, or he is a bad guy. I don't know if in the comics if he's actually like an anti-hero or not. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. But throughout the movie that we just watched, he's more good guy than bad guy. Mm -hmm. He's 
killing the guy who's killing innocent people and has spent his life devoted to helping many others who are uh, who have a disease or in the military who need you know plasma, that sort of thing. So he's very much a good guy. And then all of a sudden at the end of the movie, he's like, hey, we should just take out Spider-Man. What do you think? You're like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Well, he didn't what? say good idea. He said, I'm intrigued. I think. Right. He said he's intrigued. Fine. Yeah. Um, I'm not quoting him exactly. I'm paraphrasing. That's not paraphrasing. It's, so, it's totally different. <laughs> so either way, I'm going to go out in the middle of nowhere, meet a random guy who is a villain, and we're going to talk about killing somebody. We have, One person has no idea who that is. Do you know offhand if the Vulture and Morbius are both part of the Sinister Six? I believe they are. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that would make sense why they would have that scene because they're probably going to start to build that up. I would. Well, I think they have a lot of groundwork to do because um, if if Michael is just going to flip a switch and become a bad guy and just start killing good guys or people who are <laughs> trying to defend the innocent, I mean, he, they have some other groundwork to do to completely reverse what they've just showed us, I think. And I think it's hard for us because we simply don't read the Morbius comic book. You know, we, we, therefore we have no idea like what the origin story is of this character. You know, this is the first exposure we've had to the character. So I'm, I'm more open-minded in that regard just because of that. Part annoyed me. Steve, uh, final thoughts and rating, if you will, please. Russ, I think I'm going to give this one a 2.5. Ah. Um, I didn't think it was terrible. Um, I just thought that the, the script was bad. I thought it could have been written better. I thought it could have been edited better. I think they could have spent more time developing these characters instead of some of the CG, which to me, they really, I mean, some scenes look good. Some scenes just look too played with. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I really didn't care about a lot of the characters, honestly, by the end of the movie. I mean, I wasn't like, like I, I didn't give a 50, but I mean, I found myself yawning and this is supposed to be like a popcorn action, you know, comic book flick. Sure. So, um, I mean, I was yawning a lot <laughs> by the end of it. Uh, I'm I, looking over at you and you're just like, <gasps> <laughs> I couldn't help it. Golly. Uh, you're like, Hey, you want to do the podcast? I'm like, going to pass out. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> Wake up and play more Elden Ring. Um, so yeah, no, I, I can't really get behind this one as much as I really wanted to. I I loved the preview. Mm -hmm. I was intrigued. I definitely was. I wanted to. I wanted. I wanted to see it succeed. I wanted it to, to do well in the movie theater. Um, I wanted to have a good time. And I just kind of went nah. I could have watched this one streaming at home and probably even gave it a better rating, but I wasn't too thrilled with it. Steve, I'm inclined to agree with you. I, too, actually give it 2.5 stars. Nice. We are in agreement in that area. Mono y mono. And I agree. I think that the culprit in this case is the script. I think it was a, a bad script. And it's unfortunate because the cast was actually really well picked. I, I liked everybody who were in their roles. I enjoyed... Um, the idea of being introduced to another Marvel character who I have never read about at all. And so I always look forward to like, you know, finding out like what they're about and what their motives are and that sort of thing. And I still am interested in Morbius. I think Morbius is a cool character. I just, I, 
I hope that if they make a sequel that they will actually do some of the things that we have talked about during the, the course of this program, because I think that they would greatly benefit. I, I could totally see um, a success story come out of it. If they were to, to heed some of the things that we have addressed, because I find Morbius in, in, in particular, I find Jared Leto an interesting casting choice for the role of Morbius. I think there's, there, there's something there. There's a lot there that, that has not been tapped into yet. So we'll just have to, to, you know, wait and see how the cookie crumbles on that. But I, I do think hmm. overall though, I think, I think you pretty much uh, said it all, Steve. Thanks Russ. And thank you for watching. What'd you think of the movie? Did you agree? Did you disagree? Were the highlights of the movie you thought uh, stood out to you? Let us know in the comments. We're, we are uh, dying to know. <laughs> that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm where you can enjoy exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention it continues financially helping us doing Joygasm. Also, why don't you take a little slash at that subscribe button, <laughs> tackle that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm. It drops once a week, every week. And while you're at it, do a search for at Joygasm TV on your favorite social media platform of choice. We're on just about all of them. And while you're at it, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will look forward to hanging out with all of you next week when we review the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 movie. We'll see you then. <laughs>